0: Welcome to the See Me Now Special Edition Podcast. I'm Kelsey Coleman with my co-host David Ludlam, and we are here today with Colorado Macy University visiting assistant professor and director Jessica Jackson. Welcome to the show. Hi, happy to be here. So you are directing the musical cabaret here at Colorado Macy University, and that's happening I mean, this week. Yeah, yeah we opened Thursday. I'm still I still sort of feel like I'm living a charmed life
1: to be doing live theater at all right now.
2: And what has it been like to do live theater in the middle of a global pandemic? I mean, it's interesting because it, we've been live theater has gone through pandemics before, but this one is different for like modern times. What's it been like for you?
1: Well, I have never felt closer to, you know, Shakespeare and all his friends who were constantly <laughs> battling plague. But well, it's been so interesting. I think we've had to in this department. I think one of the goals of this department was to model adaptability for the students. Um, there are ways to do theater in this pandemic that are safe, given our resources at the university. There's also a conversion to digitized media that's happened as well. We just didn't want to stop doing theater at all. We thought it was important that they see that we're going to think outside the box and uh, try to still have a live element to what we do, but do it safely.
2: What's the production all about?
1: Well, um, for those of you... I think some people are uh, familiar with Cabaret, but it's it's the story of a young writer based on Christopher Isherwood who shows up in Berlin in 1931. And the audience holds this knowledge throughout the show, th- this dramatic irony of knowing what happens in 1933 when the Nazi party takes over Germany. Um, but we're in the last few days of the Weimar Republic and he arrives in the midst of this gorgeous, decadent, transgressive party. Um, The nightlife of Weimar Berlin was famous. The cabaret scenes were amazing um, bastions of art and experimentation. And we're seeing the last little bit of that before um, the, you know, fist of fascism comes crushing down.
2: So this isn't like the Captain Von Trapp culture. This is like the art culture of the same era. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, in a way, The Sound of Music is related to cabaret in that it's dealing with a lot of the same historical elements, but from the Sweet Family G-rated perspective, whereas cabaret is about the nightlife where these artists felt like they could... Um, they could experiment with sexuality with art with music and um, and really kind of push their audiences to think in a different way and they had a lot of freedom during this time there was a huge like there was a lot of gay culture that was open and out and celebrated in Berlin at this time and of course that's that's gonna all also come to a um, come to a very sad end uh, once the with the rise of the Nazi party and the uh, subsequent events. So yeah, we're seeing... This little slice, this little precipice, this culture teetering on the brink of uh, fascism, and you see a culture being radicalized during so, this time.
2: So it's got the same ominous um, undercurrents as Sound of Music, but maybe not the art and the way people connect is a little different than the way Julie Andrews portrays it. Yeah. a little more <laughs> of okay, <saying>. yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that's
1: what's so fun about this production, too, is that, you know, our students get to They have permission to be risque, to be a little bit transgressive, to to uh, explore sexuality on stage. And I think that's really fun um, because they're telling the story of these performers and this this particular type of nightlife. So it's been fun getting to sort of work on that and talk about that and talk about its place in this culture, in our culture,
0: what our audience expects, what they're going to get. And do you think the the cast, you know, these students getting together with this plot that they are learning a lot about themselves and each other and just really growing this kind of interesting community? Oh, gosh, I'd like to think so. I mean, that's the dream, right? When you're directing a production, you want it to be
1: a formative experience uh, for the students. But they have gelled a lot. And in the conversations that the students and I were having during um, our research portion and our table work portion of the rehearsal process were very illuminating as well.
2: Well, so art reflects reality and says something about culture and there's been, you know, fascism and authoritarianism throughout most of history. And what has it been like for your students to take that on in kind of a real Emotive way that I mean that has to affect them at some deep emotional level. I think, especially given the recent you know occurrences in our country and some of the conversations going on globally about authoritarianism and fascism.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, many of our students in our conversations during table work they told stories of when they've encountered racism or homophobia at home in Grand Junction on what campus. What is table work? Oh, sorry. Um, ins- I'm getting inside baseball. Um, <laughs> table work is uh, sort of a traditional theater process during a show that involves a lot of research or historical context. And we all sit around the table and we go through all our research together and talk through the show and really sort of delve into uh, the historical context or cultural context.
0: And how, what it, what does that look like? You know, I imagine these students are going researching, finding all this information, then coming And and some things may be conflicting, you know, maybe all all of your students aren't agreeing with what they're what they're performing or what they're finding. Yeah. And I I think it's fun to kind of, I don't know,
1: encourage a little bit of healthy debate at the table. I mean, so many of the characters choices in cabaret can be interpreted, you know, in different ways. And sometimes, you know, like with art, sometimes. There's not necessarily a right or wrong interpretation, but there are historical facts that we want to make sure that we have clear. And so we focused a lot on just, you know, telling them the story of, you know, what the German people experienced during World War One, some of the national trauma that happened that during the Weimar period, you know, how this how a portion of this population was radicalized during this time and it's interesting to have conversations with them because one thing actors have to do is they have to just approach any character even a character who joins the Nazi party with empathy and curiosity because otherwise you can't play a human truthfully on stage and so we made clear that you know this empathy and curiosity is. This is not the same as endorsement. We do not. Endo- we're not endorsing that character's actions, but we want to understand them so we can tell their story.
2: I I read a book called Ordinary Men, which really was exploring this idea that you know most of the people who perpetrated the atrocities at one point were just ordinary, everyday people that could have never guessed that's where they were. Is that in that way? Is that kind of what you're referring to? Is if you take on one of those characters, you have to do it trying to really get inside and and, and empathize with who who they were, not just the bad and parts of them, but all of them. And that might be difficult to do if you're talking about a Nazi. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. I think some of the best stories honor the complexity of humanity. Um, there's a character named Ernst in Cabaret. And he starts out as our protagonist's first friend in Berlin. And he's charming, and he's welcoming, and he likes to party and take uh, our protagonist out on the town to have a good time. And over the course of the show, we see his radicalization happen. By the end of the show, he is fully on board and has adopted the ideology of the Nazi party. And I think if we played him like A mustache twirling villain, you know, the first moment he walks on stage at the beginning of the show, I think it loses some of the, what's so shocking about the choices that people can make, such as the, in the book you referenced. And, you know, one of the books that I used in research for this was written by a professor I had for a college, I took a seminar course on college in genocide, which was the most difficult class content wise i ever had to do it was called hitler's willing executioners and and yes it's about how ordinary germans people we would consider ordinary um chose this ideology uh, for various reasons uh over the course of their lives
0: are you are your students finding you know after researching and digging up these historical events, that there's some parallels in their lives or with, um, you know, what's going on in the world today? Yeah, I mean, there were some interesting stories that
1: kept coming up at table work and came up when um, a wonderful professor from CMU's history department, Adam Rosenbaum, uh, came and gave a guest lecture about uh, the Weimar era. But yeah, there just ways that they've been treated or ways that they see their people in their families or in uh, their culture, demonizing certain groups of people, sometimes a group that they consider that themse- that they belong to, people of color, immigrants, um, LGBTQ. And so they see the same, they make a parallel between the scapegoating, you know, um, your, your life is Awful. Germany isn't what it used to be. Who do we blame? That kind of um, mentality. It's easier to be able to point a finger and say, these are the people, these are the people that are making, lowering my status in society. Um, And of course, it's awful. And um, it's not only a logical fallacy, it's, it's a a moral failure. But um, yeah, they definitely see some parallels
2: thinking about moral failures, are they drawing moral conclusions on their own terms from participation in this production?
1: I hope so. I mean, part of what they're doing also is I'm hoping aside f- I'm hoping that they're they're also drawing complex conclusions too. I think it's just important for them to be able to draw parallels between the rise of fascism in Weimar Berlin and certain elements of our culture now. It's just as important for them to see the differences too, to see what we have now in things about our society today that are also vastly different from uh, the culture that the Nazis were able to um, dominate in this time.
0: Can you give any specific examples of what your students are experiencing? You know, when you, you were talking about real things that they go through or that they've been through. Well, one of
1: um, my students who's absolutely wonderful and plays one of the main characters in Cabaret, she uh, works at, with CMU facilities. And um, after Adam Rosenbaum came and gave a lecture, he had mentioned eugenics, as this this pseudoscience this deeply troubling pseudoscience that um, Nazi ideology pointed to to you know um, basically as a scientific underpinning for white supremacy and They've been finding these QR code stickers stuck um, to parking signs and various other things uh, on campus and facilities has been scraping them off as quickly as possible. And they're really dealing with the issue. But these QR codes lead to a white supremacy eugenics website that is using this this pseudoscience, uh, to try to underpin white supremacy. And, and, you know, she <laughs> found this deeply troubling. Um, but for her, it was a big aha moment, uh, where she made a connection between that, you know, this, uh, this ideology is still being prop, you know, propagated.
2: Given that it is still being propagated. And we think about you know, authoritarianism and fascism and totalitarianism and these radical thinking, broken thinking on the right and the left. Does art play a role in your experience in correcting that or keeping it centered or bringing it back to rationality and the enlightenment values that we all share? Is there what art, I mean, your production, does it play a role here locally in doing that?
1: Well, God, that's the goal, right? I mean, I hope so. Sometimes I think like we, as theater artists and I think artists and other disciplines that we we hope so we we are here to to in many ways do that exactly what you described. I think what we do more often, that I think is also really valuable, is sometimes we're able to hold a mirror up in a way that has enough distance for an audience to to see themselves and to see our society uh, from a safe distance. Um, But there's also something really powerful about live performance. Um, It's not as easy to dehumanize a character that is 30 feet away from you living and breathing on a stage as it is to dehumanize someone in, I think, sometimes the separation of digitized media or the way People sometimes don't even think a, that someone else is a human being when they're responding to them on Twitter or on social media. So I think live performance has
0: a sort of a special place in doing that. Aside from the extremes, it sounds like your students are learning through this art piece that they can disagree with people and and talk about it. And they're not necessarily, that other person on the other side isn't necessarily wrong or not necessarily, you know, a, a horrible human.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I hope, like, I, I love it when debates come up in the context of art because, you know, it's our job as artists to to poke at it, to tear it apart, to... To look at it and examine it and to to just hold a hold a good space for all of that to be able to happen. And so, yeah, I think, you know, in a way, the opposite of fascism is being able to do that, Um, because one of the components of fascism is suppression of oppositional voices. And I think it's important to model a room where it's okay to ask a question that you're afraid to ask, or that might reflect um, beliefs that you aren't sure are held by everybody else in the room. I think it's important to be able to do that and to get it out in the open and just just talk about it. Just hold it up and look at it.
2: I like what you were saying about, I, I think I'm characterizing right, but I want to make sure you're saying that um, there's something safe about exploring these through art because you're able to abstract out um, from the personal into abstract and, and abstracted onto the stage. But that extra layer of abstraction, when you go from the stage to say social media, maybe is not as useful, but that one layer of abstraction between the audience and, and the person on the stage, but maintaining that physical proximity, that's like the sweet spot where um, per- performing arts lives.
1: That's so good, David. I'm going to steal that. That is the sweet spot spot where performing arts lives. I think that's true. I think, you know, seeing we understand our lives through story. I mean, story is so important for humans to even understand or contextualize our lives. and, And we're doing that on stage. And you're right. Maybe it's just we're there with this one level of abstraction of the relationship between audience and performer. But yeah, I mean, once you get so many layers of abstraction that someone is just reduced to some 140 characters on a screen, that's when I think it becomes really hard and things become so binary and um, just so oversimplified.
2: I wonder if uh, Kelsey might have some thoughts on this because she does social media for the university, but this idea that... Um, When you're in the theater, there's an unspoken contract between the people on the stage and the people in the audience that you know it is a representation. But on social media, it's procured and it's very much a representation, but we're supposed to believe that it's also real. And maybe I wonder if there's something that we could learn from art in the theater as it relates to social media to make it healthier or something.
1: I wonder. I mean, part of the advantage we have in theater is that we can fiction, we're fiction you know, and there are there are pieces of theater that are documentary, but at the but at the in nature, but at the same time, they're still sort of being portrayed or fictionalized. Um, yeah, I wonder and I don't mean to to just, you know, be harsh on social media. I didn't necessarily come here with that <laughs> intention, um, but it does trouble me. I mean, it it definitely does. And um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe social media doesn't benefit from. The, I don't know what we get from being able to put something or put an ideas and thoughts in fictional characters' mouths versus, uh, you know, someone typing out on Twitter.
0: I wish I had the answer to this. I know we all <laughs> look at you like. I was Kelsey. hoping you,
2: I was hoping you had the magic elixir. Yeah. I yeah. I this. Yeah. I
0: don't. I don't. <laughs> Um, you know, I do want to talk more about cross disciplines, though. You know, you had mentioned how a, one of the CMU history professors came in and, and spoke with your performing arts majors. Um, and what? how important is that? You know, do you think that there should be more cross disciplinary work? Yes, always. I hope someday to get to um,
1: direct a show that deals with uh, astronomy or genetics or um poli sci or something. I would love nursing. Like I would love to uh, be able to bring more areas of the university and other, de- um, you know, experts from other departments into the performing arts uh, to work with us. Um, I think it's so I think there's a power in that, too, because one of the unique things about the performing arts is we there you can name anything, any subject, any human endeavor, and there's a play about it. You know, so there's a chance that we could be producing something about almost anything. And what's great about doing it at a university is there's usually someone in that university who knows a whole hell of a lot more than I do about it. So,
0: and why cabaret? What, you know, you're the director of the show. What 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 was it like for you, you know, creating this show and putting it together and
1: well, it was such a fascinating journey for me because um you know, it's theater during covid that in itself is is odd. And, um, you know, the other socially distanced theater piece that uh, I had completed just in the professional world at the end of the summer was a socially distanced piece on a golf course where the audience rode around in golf carts. And so I was already used to sort of thinking a little bit about how do we do this now? how do we do theater now? And so our scenic designer, Matthew Schleif and I kind of came up with this idea of what if we put the entire cast in a two story steel structure made of boxes. And so everybody is performing in their own little box. And then we're like, okay, what does this mean for us too? And, and in some ways it makes it a little bit more about perspective. Um, there's only one character at the end who can actually see everybody all at once and get, gain perspective on what's happening uh, in the society at this time. And everybody else is sort of a little bit has blinders on in many ways. Um, but then our second, you know, so once we would figured out what it meant, we were also like, OK, how do we make it interesting? You know, and so our choreographer has them climbing the walls and hanging from the ceilings of these boxes. The dancing (laughs) is so exciting. And each of these, our lighting designer made it so these boxes can light up any color in the rainbow in so many different ways. And um, it is really visually stunning. So we ended up getting a little bit of the best of both, both worlds. We got a set that was socially distanced and keeps people from breathing on each other while also being really unique and incredible to watch.
2: Well, so we've covered um, the sound of music and cabaret (laughs) and authoritarianism and social media and uh, the segment's gone by quickly. But I'm just wondering what's in the future for you in the the near term? What's next for you in terms of a production or what? We talked about that a little bit earlier, but
1: I have no idea yet. Um, I think. For me, the theater department has a wonderful show coming up next called Miss Holmes, which is one of my favorite scripts. It's being directed by uh, Professor Ben Rigel, and it's uh, a classic Sherlock Holmes mystery. But what if Holmes and Watson had been born as women? And so they have to navigate all the same stuff Holmes and Watson are navigating, only they have the social barriers of Victorian England uh, in their way. And it's funny and it's action packed and it's really amazing. And they're also doing kind of a socially distanced, um, very audio heavy version of this play. So I'm going to enjoy being an audience member and enjoying the, the heck out of that show. Um, but as for what's next for me theatrically, I, that's hard to know. I think I'll do some writing this summer. There's so little theater happening out there in the professional yeah. world right now. <laughs> well,
2: I, I'm really glad that you're engaging in this and providing that leadership in our community to make sure the art's sustained during this, this time. So that's really, I think, appreciate that as staff.
0: If the audience for Cabaret was to take away one thing from your show, um, and I hope everybody listening goes and watches, it's March 4th through the 13th, is that right? Yes. Yes. What, what's, what's, a, what's the takeaway that you want the audience to, to leave with? I
1: think I want them just to be able to have a moment and step back and step outside Whatever bubble they inhabit, because we all inhabit a bubble. I mean, you know, in terms of the the stories we consume, the version of events we consume through media and everything, and maybe take a page out of our protagonist's book and be able to step back and, and kind of look at it and just, just hold it up and look at it and see, um, think about what's going on in their own world with a, a critical eye, I I suppose. I also want them to be proud of these students for doing great theater during a pandemic.
2: Yeah, that's a nice sentiment, I think, to round out our show on. So thank you so much for being here with us today.
0: Thank yes, you. Thank, thank you. you for having me. This is the See Me Now special edition podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, with my co-host, David Udlum. And we spoke with Jessica Jackson today. Thank you so much. Thank you.